All right. Are we ready to dive in? Wow, it's so wonderful to see so many bright faces this early in the morning. So, yes, bright and cheery. You guys are like the cream of the crop here. So, okay. Well, I am going to um, just start out with a word of prayer before we dive in. So join me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning, for um, just being a faithful God and um, giving us hope throughout your word. And um, it's easy to read sometimes and, and hear about judgment and, and sinful people and, and see ourselves in those sinful people. And it's easy to get down, but I'm just thankful that you are a God who gives us um, such a tremendous hope because you have lavished your love upon us. And I just pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that you will um, make our hearts sensitive to um, what you would have us here, that you'll open our eyes to more of who you are, um, not to just learn more about ourselves, but to learn about you, because that's the ultimate goal of uh, your written word. So I just pray that you will bless our time this morning, um, bless every woman who is here, um, and is committed to coming in this early morning, Lord. We just thank you for your son who has given us um, all the hope that we need in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so how did, uh, how did this week go with, with your homework and with dig digging in? Anybody finding this like super easy to read and to just like be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that's saying. <laughs> Me neither. Um, you know, the more that I dug into it when Sarah had, had mentioned this, and the more I was, like, searching for stuff um, and not finding a whole lot, I was like, ooh. So um, it has been very challenging, but, oh, I have been so blessed by this, by digging deeply into this, this book that, um, Honestly, I've never been really pulled into digging deep into. It's been convicting for me personally to think I, in my quiet time in the morning without anyone giving me homework or having to write anything or search anything out um, to be accountable to a room full of women, I should be digging deeply like this every time I open the word. Um, and maybe I don't have like two hours to set aside to dig deeply, but I should take, I should be digging more deeply into the Word of God. It is just showing me how rich and how we are never going to understand everything about this book. It's just been, it's been wonderful. So um, as Sarah opened up last week, the first three chapters of Hosea that are directed mostly towards Hosea and Gomer, his wife, and how unfaithful she was, he had asked God had asked Hosea to live out this heartbreak that he was um, experiencing with Israel. And now in these next, in the remaining chapters of Hosea, we're going to be looking more directly at Israel. So Hosea's heart had been broken by Gomer, and this pictures how God's heart was breaking for his people, um, his chosen people. And not only was his heart um, broken, but his holiness was offended. Uh, Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And God was ready to forgive Israel, but Israel was not ready to repent. And not only were they not ready to repent, they were not even willing to admit that they were sinning. Um, Wiersbe says, It's a basic principle 
that until people experience the guilt of, of conviction, they can't enjoy the glory of conversion. And in this case, uh, for Israel, ignorance was not bliss. Um, Hosea was having a quarrel with his wife. God was having a quarrel with Israel. And in your homework, I pointed out that chapter 4 opens up um, almost as a depiction of a, a uh, courtroom scene where God brings the charges against his people. So let's read the first four verses of Hosea chapter 4. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. So call out to me, and this is going to be a little interactive, so I have not yet mastered the art of awkward silence, so just <laughs> participate, okay, so that I don't have to feel awkward. <laughs> okay, so call out some of the charges that you see in verses 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of violence, wasn't there? Yeah, so verse 2 starts listing some of the Ten Commandments, and actually it, it specifically lists five of the Ten Commandments. Um, this is pointing out the covenant that they made with God at Mount Sinai. It was there that they promised, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Those were their very words. But here we can see that they had broken that vow, that promise. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. Murder was so common in this time that there was no break between acts of murder. It was a constant within the people. And along with no faithfulness and um, kindness was lacking. Um, I, that kind of jumped out on the page uh, for me, that, that they mentioned kindness, that God mentioned kindness. And turning from God meant that they started to turn against each other. Um, their relationships were impacted. And if we love the Lord, we're also going to love our neighbor. Uh, they should go hand in hand. Um, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what was his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And then even beyond that, in verse 3, we can see that the effect that sin had on creation. It wasn't just man. So in these chapters, we're going to really start getting into the judgments that are going to come upon Israel. And if you ever question whether God is a just God, we just have to recognize in verses 4 through 6 that, in fact, he is. And we, you can see this sowing and reaping um, language, starting in verse 4. Let no one find fault, and let no one offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. That means they brazenly defied God's um, 
God's established authority. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So you can see this reaping and sowing. You can see that the punishment fits the crime. And just keep that in the front of your mind as we go throughout these chapters um, about their coming judgment. But even more than that, keep your eyes and your ears open for the hope that is sprinkled in here. Because um, God never leaves us in a state of, of doom and gloom. Thank goodness. So what is at the foundation of their sin? What's, what's the root cause of their sin? Verse 6. Lack of knowledge. Yeah, it was ignorance. Okay, so together as a class, we are going to read the first line of chapter 6 together, and we're going to read it together three times aloud. Really let this sink in as we read it, okay? All right, here we go. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So they had set the word of God aside. It's not merely a knowledge about God. It is this intimate knowledge of him, really knowing him. And the Hebrew word here is used for um, describing a husband's most intimate relationship with his wife. So a oneness. Ironside says, Is the reader one to whom light has come, which you are unwilling or afraid to obey? Remember that when you act in accordance with the mind of God as made known to you through his word, your path shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. On the other hand, revealed truth willfully ignored, or still worse, refused, has a hardening effect upon the conscience. They hesitated because of possible worldly loss or of probable family difficulties. Their consciences are calloused, and their testimony for God is over. And so this type of intimacy with the Lord Truly knowing him was not only lacking in Israel, it was basically non-existent. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, um, and hopefully I'm not alone in this, how could the Israelites bow to pieces of wood or worship a golden calf when they had witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea? Um, how can they go and consult the world, um, consult idols, when they had the Lord himself guiding them? Have you ever had those thoughts? But as Sarah mentioned last week in Second Peter 1, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we can say the same thing about ourselves, right? So what kind of things do we consult before we consult with the Lord? And this is not a um, shout your idols time. This is a recognition of what are the voices that we're tempted to listen to on a daily basis um, before hearing from the Lord. Just name some. There's plenty. What's that? Friends? Spouse? Social media? Our phones? The Today Show? Yep. Satan? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Negative self-talk. Any others? I love podcasts. Somebody said husbands, bloggers. Yeah. 
Um, books. There are so many good books out there that we look to for the answers. I have a library full of them. So um, do you see these as possible ways of putting these voices, not being really any different than, than consulting an idol like the Israelites did? So we're wise to just examine our own knowledge of God, um, but even more than knowledge, what is our intimacy with him? So in the next chunk of verses through verse 14, we see the effect of um, a poor choice of priests has on the entire nation. Um, I need to tell you the backstory because when I was first reading these chapters, I was like, how in the world did these corrupt priests get, how did the priests even get this way? Um, I did not know the backstory. So um, once I dug into it, I was like, ah, oh, that makes sense. So here is the backstory. Jeroboam the first that Sarah had mentioned last week, and this is not the Jeroboam mentioned in chapter one, but if you remember when, um, and if you want the backstory, it's in 1 Kings 12 and 13, as well as 2 Chronicles 11. Um, so Jeroboam the first set up his own religious system in Israel, and when Israel had become this divided kingdom, the ten tribes to the north, the two tribes to the south, which were Judah and Benjamin, Jeroboam was king of the ten northern tribes. Rehoboam was the king of the two southern tribes. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. So Jeroboam was afraid that if the people went to Jerusalem, which was in the south, um, to offer their sacrifices and to worship, he was afraid that their hearts would return to Jeroboam as their king. And he didn't want that. So he made two golden calves up in, the, um, up in Israel in the ten northern tribes so that the people could worship and sacrifice there in his kingdom. Well, the Levitical priests that God had ordained to intercede for the people fled to Judah in the south, leaving no priests in the ten northern tribes. So this caused Jeroboam to just ordain his own priests. So God had stipulated that only the descendants of Aaron could hold that position. And so Jeroboam blatantly sinned in this way, um, and that very act would just wreak havoc on the nation of Israel. Um, the priests that he put into place didn't know the Lord, didn't know the law. They weren't Levitical priests. Uh, they just wanted an easy job because the priests would get food. They would get clothing. They would get pleasure. And these priests would take uh, advantage of, the, um, of sleeping with the shrine prostitutes and... Um, so the people are saying, well, don't blame us. We were just following the priests. Uh, someone read verse 8 for me, please. Yes. So not only were they participating in the simple practices, but they were dependent on it. Um, according to the Mosaic law, the, when the people brought their animals to sacrifice, um, the priests would keep a portion of the food for themselves. So the more the people sinned, the more the priests ate. So their goal was gain. It was not godliness. And it's not what God had intended for the priests. And then verse 9. Jeannie, can you just read that as well? Like people, like priests. So there was literally no distinction between the priests and the people. And so their punishment was going to be the same. 
So here we can see the snowball effect that we can see in our own society today, uh, just as it was in Israel with the corrupt counterfeit priests. So it's true today. Um, ignorant and worldly spiritual leaders produce ignorant and worldly people. So just as spiritual leadership impacts the church, the church impacts morality, and morality impacts the nation. So God has called us, his church, to be salt and light. But when the church is corrupt, society is corrupt. Do we see this happening today? A little bit? Yep. S you know, studying this book, and I sent, a, I sent an email to Pastor Pat um, about this because it just has moved me to give thanks and to praise God for Sailorville Church and the men that are leading this church and um, just has caused me to pray for them in a more um, intense way. And I ask you to join me in praying for the men that lead this church um, because they need, they need our prayers. So the priests were consulting with their idols rather than seeking God's will, and they took advantage of the people. So we can clearly see here the role that the, the priests played in the downfall of Israel and in their unfaithfulness. Um, and then in the rest of chapter 4, verses 15 through 19, um, and I think that it's important to us to kind of dig through this to understand um, the sins of Israel so that we can understand the judgment that was going to be coming. Um, Hosea warned Judah, who was in the south, to watch the events of Israel and not to meddle in their affairs. Um, because they're doomed. So he says plainly in verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Um, by the way, you are going to see the word Bethaven mentioned in, in verse 15. It was called Bethel. Um, the Lord had called it Bethel. And so the, the word Bethel would change to Bethaven. So it turned from being the house of the Lord, which is what Bethel means, to the house of wicked, wickedness or deceit, which is what Bethaven mean, means. Um, and you will also see Ephraim starting to be used more frequently. Um, I'm not going to go into the backstory of Ephraim, which was one of jo Joseph's sons, but Ephraim was the biggest tribe in Israel in the northern ten, kingdom, um, ten tribes. <laughs> ten kingdoms. Um, but you are going to see God referring to the whole nation of Israel as Ephraim several times. So just to clarify that. Um, back to verse 17, you see the word joined. Does anyone have a different? Um, Ephraim is joined to idols. Anyone have a different translation? Attached? Okay. Married? What was, the, what, what was the other? 17, yeah. Okay. So this word here, um, means a binding with spells, like someone who is brought under a hypnotic spell. Um, Israel had just been, they had been taken captive by false doctrine. They were still a religious people. They just followed a false religion. Okay, if you can turn to Romans 1, we are going to read, and I'll read it, 18 through 32. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And skipping down to 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So this is referring to, Paul is referring to the pagans here, but does it sound a lot like Israel? Sounds like we we're reading like straight from Hosea. Does it also sound like our society? It does. The point in reading this, um, I wanted us to read this t- to show that God is a just God and that no sin goes unpunished, no matter the point in history or the people group. Um, turn over to Romans 3. Um, we're going to read, I'm going to read 9. Hold on, I'm on the wrong page. 9 through 12. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then in uh, verse 20. It says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the good news, in case that makes you feel a little down, is that no matter your history, God has given us his son's righteousness um, because he was perfect for us and took our judgment and um, through his death on the cross and has victory through his resurrection. And this is just such a bright spot for us who are reading this book and can see yourselves in it, in the Israelites, um, that Christ took our judgment on the cross. Um, Back to Hosea, chapter 5. Okay, so chapter 5 is just further proof that God is um, an exclusive, jealous God. He is unique in his claim that he's the only way, though. So in the first verse, um, hear this, O priests, give heed, O house of Israel, Listen, O house of the king, for the judgment applies to you. 
For you have been a snare at Mizpah and have spread a net out on Tabor. So God is singling out here the different groups of people that were responsible. He calls out the priests and the royal house and um, the leaders of Israel. And he's including them all here to be sure to let them know that um, no particular group is going to go unpunished or escape judgment. And they were spreading a net or setting traps for, um, to lead the people into judgment. I had read in a sermon transcript um, of a particular pastor, he said, Now places like Mizpah, in places like Tabor, in places like Beth-Avon, in places where Israel went for its worship, where there are little trees and where they had their little huts and where they had their little altars, you might have said, as so many people say in the 20th century, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if you worship the right God. The important thing is that you worship God. It doesn't really make a difference what church you go to as long as you go to church on Sunday. Go to the church of your church. And we can even see this in our own community. Um, A big reason why we have a church plant in North Ankeny. We have this town full of churches that aren't preaching the gospel. And it's just such a need. So down in verse 4, you can see that the Lord has given them over to their depravity. Who wants to read that for me? And that kind of goes along with um, the Romans 8, 6 through 8 that you read in your homework. So not only did they not know the Lord and were worshiping the idols, but the lewd acts came along with that worship. Um, The worship of the Baals, and um, it included a lot of sex with the temple prostitutes. And they had the belief that worshiping the Baals and sex with the temple prostitutes um, would bring fertility. They thought it would bring fertility of their land, of their animals, and of their people. And they became, um, as Sarah mentioned, they were a prosperous nation. And so pride became a serious issue in these people. They didn't recognize their prosperity as from the Lord. Um, and that pride, um, and you can see in verse 5, had caused this chasm to grow between them and the Lord. Um, Proverbs wisely says that pride goes before the fall or destruction, right? Okay, someone read verse 6 for me. So they go with their, their animals to sacrifice, right? But the very thing that God had asked them to do and commanded them to do was detestable to him. And not only does it not bring Israel favor, um, but it brings them judgment. So the Lord is not a prisoner to his ordinances. Um, As I was thinking about this and how he commanded them to do this, but it became detestable to them, to him, I was thinking about how this might look. Um, today, what are the what are the ordinances that God has placed in the church? The two main communion and baptism. Yes, yeah. Is it possible for us to observe these and um, it not be pleasing to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Yep. So are we any different? 
when we sit in church and observe these ordinances, but our hearts are far from him, we desire the world over him, maybe we hold a grudge against someone, just give in to sin that's constantly entangling us. Um, Sarah, really quickly, since this is your chapter next week, uh, 6 verse 6, will you read that really quick? That's powerful. If we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can probably think back to a time, or possibly currently, um, where we're just going through the motions um, in our walk with Christ, rather than obeying him out of a heart of love for him. Um, in your homework, I asked you to identify any sacrifices or offerings that you bring to the Lord out of the motive to try to gain his favor, rather than just doing it out of love for him with a pure heart. It's convicting, um, and it's humbling to see ourselves in the Israelites. Am I right? So in the rest of chapter 5, we can see that Israel and Judah were very sick. But rather than going to the Lord to seek healing, they sought kings and politicians. And at this point, the Lord would withdraw from them. Um, and he would wait for them to seek his face. So if someone can just read chapter 12, or chapter 12, verse 12 for me. Sorry, five, five verse 12. Yes, thank you for reading that. Um, so how does a moth destroy? Has anyone had anything destroyed by a moth? Is it like, yeah. It, yeah, it's subtly, it's slowly, right? You don't even know it's happening until you open up, whatever, and it's like you have this hole in your sweater. Um, so rather than bringing judgment on um, swiftly and powerfully, the Lord was allowing judgment to come in slowly and subtly in this case. And it's, it's often this way in our own hearts. Um, you know, we can go along, we're happy, made more money than we did last year. Kids are doing great at their activities. Um, we follow along with the Bible reading plan and come to Bible study. We um, come to church whenever we can. And all the time, the moths are working. The rottenness and the, and the pus starts um, impacting our life. Um, it's not fatal, but all the while, it's just causing this infection in our lives. Um, and we're just being weakened little by little. And so I think that it's easy for us to allow corruption to enter our hearts in these little ways. Um, we compromise with the world. We allow it to shape us. Um, as long as we keep interacting with the Lord now and then, hopefully we're safe from destruction, um, going through the motions, just trying to gain his, fav his favor. Um, we take these little glimpses of him, and then we stare at the world. I can, I can stare much longer at this than I can at this. And so I don't say this to make us feel guilty, um, but I, I, it's just a real threat for every single one of us. And it's why putting on the armor of God daily is vital to our, our spiritual health and our um, spiritual life. Um, 
Another preacher says, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is in shambles because of indifference and because of lethargy, the Lord God may be working like a moth in your life. May God help you to recognize what is really happening and may he stir you by his Holy Spirit to come back to him, to confess your sin, seek to put him first in your life, and to use the time that he has given you for the glorification of his name. So the remedy, as Hosea puts it so plainly, is know the Lord. Hosea would have a lot to say in the church today, wouldn't he? Um, Psalm 1 is going to be in your um, homework, your make it personal time for tomorrow, and just speaks to delighting in the Lord um, and how that um, keeps us green and fruitful. And so I just encourage you this week to spend quality time in um, Psalm 1 along with Hosea. Um, Back to Israel. In the last verse of uh, chapter 5, verse 15, is the worst judgment of all. If someone can read that for me. Yeah, 515. Yep, he will withdraw from them. So what's the result? Do you have any ideas what the results would be if with God, God withdrew from them? Yeah, yeah. There's no, um, no divine, no divine guidance. There was no um, distinction between right and wrong, because distinction um, between right and wrong is determined by the will of God. And if you don't know the will of God, yeah, destruction is going to come. Um, so if God is absent, everyone's left to themselves. You can see where it's going. Okay, the, we are just going to go through the first three verses of chapter 6. Um, these verses can bring about some confusion. This, um, did this apparent turnaround make any, any of you wonder what was going on? Does it make you think? Wow. It, it, made, me, it made me think what? I just didn't understand it. So... I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live for him, live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. At first glance, looks and sounds like genuine repentance, doesn't it? Um, but at this very time, their words were empty. And even though they did not know the Lord, he still knew them intimately, and he knew their hearts and what was driving this so-called repentance. But if you look ahead um, in next, in your reading for next week, um, it's chapter 7, verse 10, 14, and 16. It proves those verses... Um, prove that their hearts were not repentant of their sins, at this point in time, they were just sorry for the consequences. So, 
in your, in your notes, I want you to write down these contradicting words in your journal to reflect on later. Okay, so their deepest desires were for healing, not cleansing. They were not willing to surrender their wills or their hearts to the Lord's. Their desire was for happiness, not holiness. Their desire was a change in circumstances, not a change in character. The tears they shed were over their suffering, not over their sin. I can fully identify them with this. Um, there was a time in my life where I was completely consumed with sin. Um, one sin led to another and another and another. And even though I was a Christian um, through, through that entire time, but I realized after years of walking away from the Lord and then coming back to him, I thought I was repentant. Um, I had asked God to forgive me time and time again. Um, but what was really happening in my heart was this. Um, for years, years, I lived a life of sorrow, but it was over my circumstances. Um, that hard life was caused um, by my sin. Um, I wanted healing. I didn't want cleansing. I wanted happiness. I didn't want holiness. Um, that was hard. And it wasn't until I plunged into the Word of God um, a very broken woman coming to the Word of God, that God revealed that about my heart, and it was a hard pill to swallow, um, but it was also really refreshing to not live this lie anymore. And it wasn't until I came to a place of true repentance, not just being sorry um, for how sin had affected my life, um, that the Lord began to cleanse me through His Word. Uh, sometimes it was a painful cleansing, sometimes it was refreshing, but it wasn't until my life was saturated, and I mean saturated, with the Word of God. Um, like I was hungry for it. Like it was the oxygen that I needed to live. When I acknowledged my sin as a sin against a holy God, that is when he brought me back into relationship with himself that I had pushed away for so long. So I'm just thankful that God is so patient and long-suffering with me the way that he was with his people, um, that he drew me back to himself. Um, so Israel thought that the Lord would come to the rescue. He had done that so many times before, hadn't he? Do, do you think that Israel uh, had remembered all those times? Like, he's, he's always been there for us. He's always been faithful to rescue us, because he had. They just didn't remember his call for them to be faithful and obedient. Um, they thought that it would be a quick rescue, or that was their hope. Okay, Wearsby says, expecting a quick fix is one of the marks of an unrepentant heart that doesn't want to pay the price for deep cleansing. I'm going to read that again. Let that sink in. Expecting a quick fix is one of the marks of an unrepentant heart that doesn't want to pay the price for deep cleansing. So this quick quick fix approach 
was just further evidence that their repentance was shallow and that they were expecting this vending machine effect. If we return to the Lord, he's certain to bless us, like putting money into a vending machine and expecting a candy bar or using some formula um, to get the outcome they wanted. So they were quick to use empty words. Um, but the word of God is clear. He desires our words, uh, sorry, our hearts, not our words. <laughs> His word shapes our hearts and our words. Um, but something very cool is that these words also speak of a future hope for Israel. Um, these are the words that Israel will actually speak when they are truly repentant, when they understand and accept um, the Messiah as their Lord and Savior and are brought into the kingdom of God when Christ sets up his kingdom on earth. So that is a, a huge glimmer of hope, not just for us, but for, for them. So um, my hope is after reading all of this talk about sin and judgment and, and taking a hard look at ourselves, um, that it just causes each of us to start a conversation with the Lord um, about the state of our own faithfulness um, to him. So where do we need to repent? Where do we need to turn our lives over to him? Where are we being unfaithful the way Gomer and Israel were being unfaithful? Um, those contradicting words, hopefully our, our, he can turn our hearts to desire the good things, not just the easy things. So um, let me just pray for us. Father, I just thank you um, for showing us that you are a merciful God and um, that you are long-suffering. And uh, I can't fully comprehend your patience because um, it's something that I, I lack. And I can't fully comprehend that your love never d diminishes for me despite my constant failing and um, staring at the world after only taking glimpses of you. Lord, forgive me for doing that. May I just... Um, just desire. May my heart be hungry for you um, the way that you are hungry to have my heart. Um, just help me to be faithful. Help each of us here to just um, be cleansed by your word this week as we dive in and we look at, at who you are. And, and God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of being the first person that we, uh, the first one that we consult over the world. Um, help us to just to see that. Open our eyes to um, your glory and um, just may our hearts be fully yours as we pursue, pursue you this week, Lord. Um, just thank you for the hope that you give us through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.